You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're tuned in to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host from ESPN.com, Chad Dundas, and sitting alongside me, as always, from USA Today and MMAJunkie.com, it's Ben Folks. Ben, uh, it's we're recording this on another rare Saturday or Sunday for the Co-Main Event Podcast. Uh, our our wives are here. They're they're upstairs playing with the babies. So I think it's important to know that if the if the listeners hear a lot of background noise that makes it sound like we're we're recording this in a in a damn nursery, it's essentially because we are. Yeah, I mean, I know we've long dreamed about taking the show on the road, especially to uh, a nineteenth century British orphanage. Uh, this may be the closest we'll ever get. Yeah. Uh, when we put together that tour of, of homes for boys, homes for wayward boys around the country, that's really going to, that's going to turn a lot of heads, open a lot of doors yeah. for this podcast. Would you seem a little too into if I can be frank? Well, I mean, it's exciting. I'm excited about it. Okay. Why, why wouldn't I be? I respect your enthusiasm. We, we hope that this podcast will be on the internets uh, pretty early on Monday since uh, we're recording it a day early. I assume as soon as we wrap up here today, uh, probably the, the World Series of Fighting will buy the UFC and yeah. Bjorn Rebney will die in a motorcycle accident while vacationing in Maine. Yeah, uh, uh, Fedor Emelianenko reveals that he is, in fact, a robot. All that will probably will probably occur, but we're here doing this uh, a little bit early than earlier than normal, nonetheless. Uh, before we get started, Ben, I just want to point out that the music for this week's podcast comes to us courtesy of listener Brad and his project, Brad Sucks. <laughs> what what that's what it's called brad sucks he's and we'll put the uh the links to where you can find his music on the uh on the website like we always do well you know i gotta give him this i'm intrigued he actually sent me a screenshot this week from ronda rousey's uh instagram account where she was listening to brad sucks on purpose so it comes with the ronda rousey stamp of approval well that's all i needed to hear as usual, this episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast comes to you in three rounds. In round number one, the mythical Fox Sports 1 becomes a reality this weekend, and Shale Sonnen will be there to mark the occasion, despite some more skullduggery from that dastardly culinary union. And in round number two, Alistair Overeem returns on Saturday, six months after his crushing loss to Antonio Bigfoot Silva. I mean, I think I speak for everybody when I say we're probably most excited to see how he looks when he steps on the scale. Yeah, I don't even need to see him fight. Just take your shirt off, dude. And in round number three, Ronda Rousey says she's got two good years of fighting left in her before she fully goes Hollywood. I guess you've got to respect her for her honesty. Or something. Or something. Anyway, uh, we're going to do all that. Plus, we've got Are You Fucking Kidding Me coming up. We've got tips for the well-rounded fight fan this week. And as always, we're going to do some just saying stuff. For right now, though, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. The first piece of listener mail this week, Ben, comes from Evan Whitmore. He writes, Ed Soros has stated that the RFA, that's the Resurrection Fighting Alliance. Which I know you're a huge fan you of. you are paying attention. Uh, is intended to act as a sort of MMA minor league, preparing fighters to fight in the bigger promotions. On the other hand, Bellator appears to want to be a major league itself. In terms of both fans and fighters, would it be best to have one major promotion to focus on with minor promotions acting as the RFA does, or do we benefit from the UFC having some competition? Now, I think from a fan standpoint, you could argue that at times it is beneficial to have one chiefly powerful and centralized uh, promotion in MMA because occasionally it leads to to you know the best guys in the world fighting the best guys in the world which uh, which wasn't necessarily the case back in the day when you had pride functioning as a as a real uh, other major league MMA promotion and indeed the dominant one uh, for for a time in in history there but I'm gonna say most of the time and especially where fighters are concerned for sure but most of the time you benefit I think from having competition I feel like when you have competition in the marketplace 
it forces uh, the UFC or whoever is the is wants to be the dominant force in, in in the industry to not only push itself a little bit to provide the best product it can, but also you're always going to have a situation where uh, you know they have you have to be competitive with fighter salaries with whatever that other major promotion is paying. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say competition. I'm a, I'm gonna go with competition here. I see your point that. It depends if you're looking at this from a fan perspective or a fighter perspective. The other thing for the fans is that with the number of shows the UFC is doing, it's not as if you need the competition because you're just not getting enough MMA in your right. life. In fact, it would be very hard, I would wager, for someone to even come in and position themselves as a major competitor to the UFC just because they have completely flooded the market with their own programming. It's yeah. like we barely have time for Bellator or uh, World Series of Fighting or Resurrection Fighting Alliance if you're home on a Friday watching and access and you got nothing else to do yeah i mean at this point yeah you're running short on nights of the week uh to have your competitor but i do agree that a, a competitor in the industry has the power to drive up salaries make everybody uh step up their game a little bit but you have to get to a certain level in order to do that and i sometimes wonder with bellator if Instead of Bellator driving up salaries, they're just trying to like contractually get themselves in positions with fighters where they don't have to fight that battle as often. Uh, I mean, I think the Eddie Alvarez thing might be a good example of that. I mean, obviously, that one still hasn't been resolved, so we'll see which way that one goes. Um, I feel like we all just assume that competition naturally uh, leads to higher salaries, better products all around. I don't know if that's always the case, though. Yeah, well, I don't think it's the case right now because as much as... You know, as much as we treat Bellator like it's the the second biggest MMA promotion going right now, which I guess it is, it's still not really a competitor to the UFC. They're not they're not getting in bidding wars with with the UFC over you know talent. They're not trying to raid the UFC's roster and steal George St. Pierre or John Jones away from the from the UFC. And I, so, I mean, I think to get that benefit for for fighters and and athletes that participate in the sport, you have to have a bigger a bigger company, a bigger threat to to the single company's dominance, which is what you had when you had Pride. Now, I mean, damn, I don't even know if you could get there. You, you for someone to come into the industry and create a real competitor to the UFC that that functioned as almost an equal and was able to push them to pay guys more, you would have to have someone who would be who would have very deep pockets to even start and somebody who would probably have to be willing to lose money on their MMA promotion for a good long while before they finally established the kind of foothold that would uh, that would turn them around to the point where they could book awesome fights like Tito Ortiz versus Rampage Jackson right yeah is the winner yeah you got everyone wins when that happens the the peak you're trying to climb to but then also the thing is the reason you would have to have such deep pockets is not just so that you could uh, you know, outbid the UFC for certain fighter services. You'd have to outbid them considerably because you're also paying fighters to go away from the like perceived industry leader. I mean, what's one of the problems Bellator faces in trying to get like up and coming young talent is that nobody is sitting around in these gyms going like, man, I want to be Bellator lightweight champion. That is my goal. Like no one's really doing that. Like, so in order to get somebody, you know, in order to like lock a guy like Michael Chandler down, you know, Michael Chandler would love to go fight those dudes in the UFC. You have to pay even more than you would just to pay more than slightly more than the UFC. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I guess the, to make the long answer even longer, I guess the answer is we would benefit probably from competition, but at this point it's maybe even unrealistic to assume that any competition can really come along. Yeah. It can really compete. And, you know, I do like what uh, RFA is doing. And I think that approach is realistic for them to say, look, we know we're not going to get to that point, but we could be a feeder league. And then when we, you know, the problem is your idea of success involves you losing your best fighters to the UFC. You have to find a way to, to be comfortable with that. Uh, I've talked to Ed Soares about that various thing. And he, he says that he is comfortable with it, that he looks at that as a victory for them when one of their guys signs with the UFC. But then the problem is, I don't know, he put some time building that dude up and now he's gone. Yeah, well, and it really is, you have to say, sort of the smarter way for the smaller MMA promotion to go. I think Invicta sort of did the same thing, uh, uh, you know, to not try to position yourself in the marketplace as a competitor with the UFC. Because frankly, if you're if you're one of the small fish in this pond, you want you don't want them to set their sights on destroying you. Because as we have seen in the past, oh, they will. Yeah, they will gleefully. And then they'll write your name on that styrofoam tombstone that Dana White has in his office. Probably running out of room on that thing. Second question this week comes to us from Mark Runza. 
He writes, this is a three-part question. Oh, good. About the one and only Conor McGregor. Part number one. Should we, let's just answer these in parts. Or do you want me to read the whole thing is and Mark, we'll go back? Do we know if Mark Runza is himself Irish? I assume he is if he's that fired up about writing about Conor McGregor. You'd think somewhere on the British Isles uh, is, is probably the, where the bulk of the Conor McGregor mail is coming in yeah. from. I haven't run that uh, that analytic on the site yet, but I, I, I could. Yeah, I'm constantly I'm sure. running analytics. I know you are. I know you are. Uh, so let's just do this part by part. Part number one, how awesome is a personality like that for MMA journalists to report on? I'm going to say... Leading the witness? Is that what you're going to say? <laughs> I'm going to say kind of awesome. Begging but then there's the question. A, there's a thing that I think people don't always consider. Because uh, I interviewed Conor McGregor, and he is a good interview. Because he'll just go off, does not lack for confidence at all. Um, but then it's also one of those things where it feels a little bit canned. Uh, not that I don't think that he believes this stuff when he is talking about how awesome he is. Um, but that you know... You get off the phone with them, and then you start reading the stories that other people did uh, from their phone interviews, and they're all kind of the same. Right. Like, that's the problem with a dude who is that that kind of personality in interviews is that it's just the same thing for everybody. So it's not necessarily that fun to write a story on it. you got to find a different angle in order to keep yourself interested, I think. Yeah, and you know, with MMA, we've, we're pretty lucky as reporters to be involved in, in a sport where there are so many personalities and, and like, for lack of a better term, crazy people uh, <laughs> who will say whatever when you're interviewing them. And, and Conor McGregor certainly has been a guy who's been good about promoting himself, and he, he does seem interesting. He does seem a little bit brash and willing to say uh, whatever. But at the same time, I'm not sure that that really uh, – sets him apart in this sport. I mean, I think that there are a lot of guys that do that. Maybe he just does it a little bit better yeah. than a lot of them. And I do think he has gotten uh, kind of a uh, a strange amount of press or like kind of like he's he's definitely had he's gotten a lot of attention for a guy in for, his yeah prelim guy with one fight in the UFC. Yeah, I guess that leads into part two of Mark Runza's question, which is, is it a bit too early to have such high expectations after beating a tough guy? TUF, uh, and then parenthetically he adds, even though I hope he proves me wrong. So Definitely Irish. Yeah. Mark Runza is definitely Irish. Um, uh, okay, yes, that's true. We've talked about this phenomenon before, that what will happen is everybody will get prematurely hyped about the guy uh, if he loses or even just doesn't do as well as expected in, in a victory somewhere down the road. Then everybody will... Be like, hey, I told you this guy was all hype. I can't believe you suckers got so excited about him. What a bunch of losers you are. I knew it all along. Yeah, we need to come up with a name for that phenomenon yeah. besides just run-of-the-mill straw man syndrome where we like to build him up and then burn him down. It would be great if we had a, 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 a snappy, snappy, like the Coleman Index. The Coleman you know? Index Everyone knows that that's part of the lexicon of the sport now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, part three of Mark Runza's question. Isn't it unfair of the president of an organization to have such favoritism? Ah, with an O-U in favoritism. So, Oh, the case for Mark Runza's Irishness is just airtight right now. Uh, such favoritism towards him. I wonder if Max Holloway is asking when he gets to drive Dana's Ferrari. Must be strange <laughs> going into a fight knowing your boss wants you to lose. Um, I, you know, I never did watch this video where on Dana White's birthday, he and Conor McGregor are out. Where are they? Las Vegas? Conor McGregor's birthday. Oh, it's Conor McGregor's yeah. birthday. I, I, when I talked to him, I asked him how this came about. I mean, I could describe the video to you. Yeah, please and do, would, because I have not seen you it. You won't need to watch it. Um, it's Conor McGregor and Dana White in a Ferrari, a topless Ferrari, going down the Vegas Strip uh, between the noise of the engine and like the wind rushing by in the car. You can't really hear what Conor McGregor is trying to say about it, and it's like 30 seconds long, um, and that's pretty much it. Uh, what he said was he had to come over to North America uh, to do some visa issue stuff um, for the Boston fight, and then they wanted him to come to Las Vegas to the Zufa offices for something, and it was his birthday, and so Dana White took him out to eat, uh, and he said he had uh, a Kobe B steak, proper steak, I believe he called it, um, and yeah, that was it. They, they got to ride around the Ferrari some. But it is a good point that if you're Max Holloway, are you sitting there watching this going, what the fuck? Man, what? What, what the shit is this? Maybe you're texting Dana White when your birthday is. <laughs> just saying. Just, just so you know. March 6th, man. Well, at least that sounds like uh, advantageous timing more than anything else. Like a coincidence that, that Conor McGregor happened to be in Las Vegas on his birthday. Not like, not like Dana White 
purposefully sought him out on his birthday and was like, "Let's go party, man! Yeah. Let's, let's do this. Yeah. We got to get this done, man. I gotta, I gotta get down to get out to South Dakota. It's Sean Shirk's birthday on Monday. I gotta be there." For the- <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it is true that it could create kind of a perception problem for for Max Holloway. I, I wouldn't blame him for feeling like, yeah, the UFC really wants Conor McGregor to do well. But dude, that's a tough fight. You know, that is not – when uh, it changed from – it was he was supposed to fight Andy Ogle, now it's, it changed to Max Holloway. That's a tougher fight yeah, and a better fight yes for everybody is. all the way around. Yes, it is. Third question this week comes from Kevin S. He writes, what the hell happened to the conversation about fighter pay? The UFC came out and said, maybe we should do away with bonuses, and suddenly the conversation changed to, would fighters rather have higher base pay or bonuses, as if those were the only two options. Then it turned out the fighters would rather have bonuses, and the subject of fighter pay just kind of died. Why has the UFC been able to control this conversation so well just by putting forth a clearly false binary choice? How is it that the MMA MMA media fell for Dana's bullshit? Shouldn't all of you be resistant to it at this point? Well, first of all, I think this is a good question. He, he does make a good point here. that, it, And to some extent, I think that is how it worked, where the conversation changed once Dana White was like, oh, we'll do away with the bonuses. And then it did get people into arguing about which is better um, rather than arguing about the fighter bait thing. I think the problem is, you know, when you're talking about why did the, the conversation kind of die down, you can only keep that conversation going without new information on it, without something new to add to it for so long. I mean, the problem is that nothing really, it's not like we can just sit here every day and write articles that you should pay guys more. Like you can't, you can do that once and then no one wants to read it the next day. Like you got to have something new to add to it. If we knew, for instance, uh, you know, what percentage of the UFC's total take it's paying to fighters, then that would be something that we could incorporate in the conversation. But the problem is there's just so little information uh, available to us, and the UFC does it does its best to keep it kind of murky where, oh, don't worry, these guys are getting a lot more than you think. No, everybody's getting a little extra, you know, and they even want, expect us sometimes to take that into account when we write about fighter pay, and you try to tell them, yeah, we can't just take your your uh, huge question mark of a figure and be like, okay, it's fine now because they, the UFC said that there's plenty of money out there for these guys. Yeah, I think that the you made a good point when you say that it's hard to write about it because there's just sort of a lack of information out there. And because the UFC is a privately held company, obviously, they don't have to release any of that uh, financial information to the public. And so without it, you're just sort of operating on guesswork. And that makes it hard to write stories about for sure. Um, now, I think if you're a reasonable person, you can you can probably make certain inferences from the fact that that information is private and that they won't release it. Uh, but you know, maybe, maybe leave that up to the public at large. And as we've said before on this show, the UFC is now and has always been, and I assume will continue to be really, really good at controlling the conversation in the industry. Always, they always have been. They've always done a really good job of, of kind of framing every argument and staying on top of it, you know, using social media or using uh, Dana White as a spokesperson or whatever. Who's I'd, really good at staying on message. Yes, he is. Uh, just really good at shaping shaping the, the message and, and controlling the conversation, no matter what the topic should be. I mean, remember the UFC 151 cancellation where they just blamed it on John Jones. Oh, you mean and, the, the, and, the event that John Jones and Greg Jackson murdered? Yeah, and then like 85% of killers. the people were just like, well, fuck John Jones, why'd you cancel this event, man? Just like, they're just really good at it. Yeah. And they just... For whatever reason, they're able to uh, to control the story like that. Um, but hey, we're talking about fighter pay now, and we selected your question out of a bunch of other questions, so that's kind of in your face. <laughs> uh, the last question this week comes from J.D. Santos. Uh, so I don't know if that's Junior Dos Santos. I, let's assume it's Junior Dos Santos. assume he's writing Big us. fan of the show, I think. Uh, he writes, well, having been an otherwise slow week in MMA, I assume World Series of Fighting 4 will make it onto your discussion at some point. With that in mind, uh, how disappointed were you guys when Dave Huckabah's post-victory call for everyone to, quote, get naked went unanswered? <laughs> First of all, that's obviously Junior Dos Santos. I'd recognize that pro style anywhere. Yeah, and paying attention to the heavyweights. Yeah. He's out there scouting Dave Huckabah because, <laughs> yeah. you know, he'll be Naturally. he'll be in the, in the upper echelon of the UFC heavyweight division in no time. Uh, we don't have... Uh around or anything in today's show strictly dedicated to World Series of Fighting. So this is our one opportunity to discuss it. Uh, Chad, I watched, sat down on my couch and watched World Series of Fighting live. I understand you you went back later and, and watched some videos. 
where you could. Indeed, sir. Yeah, I had want to trouble you. Better things to do, <laughs> frankly. Well, I, I can actually believe that. Um, but yeah, first of all, things I think it's important to know about Dave Huckett. But first of all, when he said how everyone should get naked, he said it as if it was somehow like a known catchphrase. Like, oh, yeah, well, of course. You know if Dave Huckabee gets the mic, he's going to tell everybody to get naked. Uh, but uh, important thing I think to know, Dave Huckabee's uh, listed nickname, Badman. Dave Badman Huckabee? Yeah. Or Badman Dave Huckabee? One of those. Whichever way you want to roll yeah. with it. I've heard worse. I'll just throw that out there. First of all, Dave Huckabee to me sounds like a made-up name. Like a, like a made-up name where you kind of you got a little bit sidetracked or like you lost your confidence toward the end. You're like, oh, officer, I'm my name is Dave Huckabee. Uh, Huckabee. Yeah, that's my name. Uh yeah, you know, I did check out some of the World Series of Fighting uh, on the internet, and I, I will repeat what I said earlier about their about their last show. When I watch it, I feel like they have uh, fairly good production values. Uh, being on the the NBC Sports Network, I feel like brings them a little bit of credibility. The show, at least in terms of like camera work and whatnot, always looks pretty good. Uh, you know, Todd Harris isn't the best, but also not the worst play-by-play man you could possibly have out there. Boss Rudin uh, is a damn loose cannon. Boss Rudin is a loose cannon who, uh, you know, appeals to the tastes of some. I'm not going to throw myself in with that <laughs> lot, but, uh, you know, he's been doing it a long time. I guess you got to respect him for that. Uh, I think, Ben, you, you correctly pointed out before we started recording this podcast, though, that, you know, one of the things that, that, you have to keep in mind with World Series of Fighting, particularly in this event, was that it was this event pitted a bunch of guys who have Wikipedia pages against a bunch of guys who don't have Wikipedia yeah. pages. And that, I think, is going to be the story moving forward with a lot of smaller MMA promotions, that there's just not a ton of depth out there that is not already signed to the UFC without, uh, you know, for them to snap up and try to try to turn into stars. You know, they have Tyrone Spong and, and, and a few guys and, of course, Ray Sefo, Ray Sefo stepping into the into the cage uh, this time around, which, but, by the way, Way, that fight had no business being as good as it was and it wasn't even great but like 42 year old Ray Sefo versus uh 39 year old journeyman Dave Huckaba Badman Dave Huckaba I live at 152 Southwest 23rd <laughs> Avenue uh that fight on paper should be a disaster a couple yes. old guys getting in there but they didn't look too bad, man. They looked kind of sharp for, for what it was, and it was competitive kind of back and forth. Uh, and Dave Huckabee comes up with a win. I mean, that was there's a couple of those fights on here where it seemed like to me you could look at the lineup and be like, okay, here's what World Series of Fighting wants to happen in all of these fights. And the dudes, the Wikipedia-less opponents who they brought in ended up being a lot tougher than I think the World Series of Fighting was planning on. I mean, uh, the... The Brandon Hempelman, Marlon Moraes fight, uh, Tyron Spong, you know, I think thought that he was just going to kick this guy a couple times and he was going to go down. Didn't work out that way. You know, there's a lot of those fights where you watch it and you think, well, maybe either the dudes who World Series of Fighting is trying to sell us on aren't as good as they thought or the other dudes that they brought in to get kicked in the head and fall down are a little tougher than they counted on. Yeah, which is like the UFC 3 phenomena, right? Where dudes started to get a little bit tougher than maybe Hoist Gracie thought they were going to be. And the next thing you know, eh, he's not incredibly interested in hanging around too much longer. <laughs> Last uh, thing I want to point out before we move on from the World Series of Fighting into our, our round one. Um, after his victory, Tyrone Spong was rewarded, in a manner of speaking, um, with a product plug boost mobile phone, which it was stressed after it was handed to him. Um, came with shrinking payments. Oh, wow. So they gave him a burner, in other words. <laughs> Basically. So it was like he got moved up from corner boy to uh, like underboss. <laughs> they're like, here, man, you're going to need this phone now because D'Angelo Barksdale is going to want to be able to call you. Yeah. But the look on his face where they hand him this Boost mobile phone and then stress the shrinking payments, he's just like, the fuck did you say payments? <laughs> you can, I got an iPhone at home, man. Are you going to give me this phone and then I got to pay for this shit too? Well, World and World Series of Fighting, I think, I think, pretty obviously uh, banking on the fact that Tyrone Spong is going to be a star for them. Um, and, you know, he won that fight. I don't know that he looked like the the guy who's going to be lighting up, lighting up the marquee anytime soon. But eh, 
We'll see. Have to see how it works out. Yeah, I thought he got hit with a lot more punches than you'd be comfortable yeah, with if you're the World Series. A surprising amount of punches. Anyway, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment, concern you'd like to air to the co-main event podcast in the future, you know how to get a hold of us. Go to the website comainevent.com and click the link at the top right-hand corner of the screen that says "Email the Podcast." As for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and roll straight into round number one. Ben, the UFC on Fox Sports 1 goes down this Saturday night. I guess we are calling it Fight Night uh, 29. Is that, is that close? Sure. All right. Uh, it's, it's, I guess you would say, a pretty important event in the landscape of the UFC because it's going to be our first look at what the the new channel, Fox Sports 1, is going to look like. It's going to be our first chance to to get the feel of the kind of position that the UFC is going to have on the channel and how big of a role it's going to have on Fox Sports 1. Uh, so I guess there are a lot of different ways that we could attack this this particular uh, fighting event. Let's start, I guess, just with the some discussion about the main event, uh, Chael Sonnen taking on Mauricio Shogun Hua, uh, a fight they tried to do earlier in the year for the event that was in Winnipeg uh, when when Shogun was supposed to fight Roger Nog. Uh, but then, then Roger pulled out, citing a back injury. To people who are not Chad Dunnis, he's referring to Little Nog, Antonio Rogerio Nogueira. Nogueira la, little Nog, Roger Nog. Uh, Just to eliminate confusion. He, he, he hurt his back, couldn't, couldn't do the fight. Uh, they tried to throw Sonnen in there in, in one of his, uh, his specialties where he kind of uh, offers himself up to uh, what typically turns out to be an advantageous position for himself. Uh, they, they said they couldn't get it together, do some visa issues. Next thing you know, we, we got it rolled up, and, and we're, we're putting it out for this the first night on Fox Sports 1. Uh, I think at the time we commented, uh, seems like a, a pretty fun little fight, although maybe not the most relevant in the, in the light heavyweight division or whatever division they happen to be having this fight in. <laughs> Especially, and by the way, I, I looked it up, Fight Night 26 is what oh, we're I was this? close, though. You were. You were in the 20s. Should have taken the under. Yeah. Um, but especially since Chael Sonnen has signaled a desire to go back down to middleweight after it's over, uh, it does kind of make it seem like, man, it better be fun because it has really no bearing on the division whatsoever. You got a guy coming off a loss in a light heavyweight title fight in which he had no business in the first place, uh, against a guy coming off a loss to the new number one contender in the light heavyweight division. Uh, so this one isn't exactly going to shape the future of the 205 pound division. This does seem like one where, Hey, we hope people have heard of Chael Sonnen, uh, and he'll go out there and sell the damn thing. You know, he'll do that. So that together, plus we all know Shogun can be exciting, even though he gets high up there on the Coleman index at times. Uh, the guy still likes to brawl. Uh, those two things together should be enough to get people to sit down in front of Fox Sports, which as of yet does not technically exist. Yeah, Chael will be out there looking to not only uh, get his first win in the light heavyweight division, but uh, get his first win at all since January of 2012. So first win in about a year and a half for, for the Chael dog. Um, but the good news, I suppose, for him is that, at least to me, this seems like a pretty winnable fight for him. Uh, as you mentioned, Shogun goes out there, and, and he's been known, especially in his in his more recent performances, to get pretty high on the Coleman Index, to get pretty stinking tired. Uh, if there's one thing that we can say uh, w- with any sort of confidence about Chael Sonnen, and they said he's probably going to show up ready to go. Yeah. The full, the, what are we doing, five for this? Five rounds? Uh, well, and, he, you know, I, I, I talked to Chael Sonnen a couple days ago, and tried to to ask him if that was what he's banking on. That we all know Shogun will get a little tired. Chael Sonnen, uh, one of the things he's got in his back pocket is that wrestler cardio, where he'll just keep coming and coming and coming and planting you on your back over and over again. Uh, and you know, was he counting on that being able to take Shogun into later rounds and wear him out there? Uh, Chael, I think, added an important point to 
our understanding of the Coleman Index, the phenomenon known as the Coleman Index, uh, was he pointed out that, yeah, Shogun is one of those guys who looks really tired, who starts to look really tired, but it doesn't really seem to affect him as much as it looks like it does. You know, he says he looks like he wants to quit. You see the body language. It looks like he wants nothing more than to go home and, and lay down. Uh, but he doesn't stop fighting. And it doesn't really seem like it makes him back off or get overly lazy. Or, you know, it just like he looks tired but then keeps throwing bombs at you. Uh, and, and as the last we heard, Sonnen had been granted a license to fight at this at this event in Massachusetts. Even though, you know, this past week there was a little bit of... Uh, Intrigue. Skullduggery. Skullduggery, as, as, as I it? called it at the top of the show. The uh, the ever-present Las Vegas Culinary Union uh, decided to file a, 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 a grievance or a, a complaint? complaint with the, the Boston or the Massachusetts Athletic Commission, uh, citing all manner of nastiness about Chael Sonnen. Uh, his moral turpitude, I believe, was was called up. Uh, and so, you know, there's a, there was a, uh, a day or maybe two days when we didn't know if this fight was going to go down. But as it turned out, I think like a lot of people expected, uh, the wheels were able to be greased, uh, probably simply by the, the Massachusetts Athletic Commission itself, I would assume, taking a look at the complaint and being like, uh, you know what? This doesn't necessarily differentiate Chael Sonnen from any other professional fighter yeah. out there in the history of professional fighting. I thought the complaint thing was actually really interesting because for one thing, okay, they bring up his conviction for uh, money laundering, Check. Um, which God help you if you call it uh, mortgage fraud to Chael Sonnen, he will go off and then he will insist that nobody even knows what money laundering right. is. Everyone uh, would rather be convicted of money laundering than mortgage fraud. Uh, Everyone. <laughs> but... Okay, as you pointed out, you know, saying, hey, this guy should not be given a license uh, to compete as a professional cage fighter because of a conviction for money laundering. Yeah, there's really no danger that he's going to get in there and launder some money. Uh, and when you think about the number of... That would be awesome if he did, though. Yeah. Like if he was like the, re the WWF repo man, just coming <laughs> to the ring with big-ass bags of cash. Hey, if anybody could find a way to launder some money while he's in there, I believe Chael Sonnen could be the guy. Uh, but then the complaints about uh basically the chelsonen character the things he has said and done where we and perhaps even they understand that that is chelsonen's stick that he is doing right now and he's going off about brazilians and and all kinds of other stuff that that is part of the the chelsonen routine and it's the problem for him in this doing the pro wrestling routine as your under your real name in your real career like that's just something that not everybody understands. And that also always makes me wonder, like when they put him out in front of, uh, you know, what they hope will be a big audience tuning in on, on cable and the people who don't really follow this sport, like how are they necessarily supposed to know what to make of this guy? It's been used against him, like in situations like this. And for other people, I feel like it might just be confusing. They don't understand. Like, yeah, we know that he's saying this crazy stuff. That's one of the things we like about him, but none of us really believes it. I feel like that might be hard to, to translate to people who are like, but wait, this is a sport, right? Yeah. And you know what? That was also a big problem for professional wrestlers back in the, uh, the glory days of the 1970s and, and, and eighties when, uh, you know, it was, it was probably not the safest thing in the world to go to the hotel bar if you were the undertaker or somebody like that. Cause there might be some dude there who, who thought that you really thought you were super tough and he might want to get into it with you. Well, fortunately you are huge. If you were the undertaker and fortunately for professional wrestlers, they do actually think they're really tough. So, uh, <laughs> there, there you go with that. Um, you know, we talked a, a while ago about the UFC's ability to control stories and to certainly at least shape the trajectory of stories as they exist inside the MMA industry. And, you know, one of the uh, stories that I think they've been the best at, at doing that is the story about the Las Vegas Culinary Union. Uh, not that they needed a ton of help because the, the Culinary Union has certainly interjected itself into the MMA world as something of a non sequitur, I assume to fight fans who, uh, who have no reason to, uh, to either know about the story or to really feel any sympathy for the culinary union, because as far as they're concerned, 
these people they don't know are just trying to fuck with the entertainment that they want to watch on the television. Yeah, and by any means necessary, too. They're not really too scrupulous about how they go about trying to fuck with the UFC. And you know there's got to be some culinary members, culinary union members who are fight fans. I mean, you got to tell me that there's not a, a line cook at the Bellagio or something who is like, I'm a little embarrassed of this because personally I, I like me some <laughs> Jail Sonnen. Yeah, but I mean, the... the, the the point exists out there and yet is is one that you probably haven't heard anyone in this sphere make that if you step back and 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 re- remove yourself from the MMA aspect of of what the culinary union is trying to do they're engaged in a, in an argument with the Fertitta brothers where you know they're pretty obviously on the right side of it like they are trying to fight for the ability for the employees at the at the station casinos in Las Vegas to have the right to to collective bargaining and the and the Fertitas currently deny their employees that. So, you know, it's it's been a uh, a story that that the UFC has been really good at 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 shaping like, hey, these this culinary unit are dirty, a bunch of they're just a bunch of racketeers and gangsters. Uh <laughs> which is, you know, for, for all I know, t- totally true and and you know, without really uh speaking to the to the story that's going on behind it. Yeah. And not you know, that fight fans care or I don't even know if they should, but I mean there is you know, there is a cause and effect here. It's not like the Culinary Union showed up out of nowhere and, and started fucking with the UFC for no reason. That's true. Uh, but just not a very, like, it's as not, it relates to the I don't know that it's smart. I don't UFC. know that they're doing the right thing. Yeah. But, you know, there's still a backstory. Yeah. Well, and, uh, you know, you got to wonder, though, stuff like this, uh, like the Culinary Union trying to get the, the guy in the main event kicked off and unlicensed. I feel like you're kind of doing the UFC a favor at that point because that's the kind of stuff that's going to get picked up in like the mainstream news outlets, uh, especially around Boston. That's the kind of stuff where people are going to put that in the newspaper and more people are going to end up hearing that, hey, there's a fight this weekend in Boston that maybe would not have heard about it if you just hadn't tried this skullduggery in the first place. Uh, well, let's do uh – what are we doing here? Let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we'll we'll move on to uh, to round number two. Uh, this week, Ben, you and I kind of have a joint Are You Fucking Kidding Me? Which goes out to uh, one of our one of the this segment's favorites, yeah. uh, War Machine. Yes. Who this week uh, busted off a few tweets uh, in social media land that were uh, questionable and dumb even for him, yeah, I think. And I feel like this is a... Because a, it's not unique for us to do a joint Are You Fucking Kidding Me? But this one is multifaceted. Because first, you have to say Are You Fucking Kidding Me? to War Machine, who tweeted out how he had just raped his porn star girlfriend, Christy Mack. Uh, she tried, quote, she tried to wake, make me wait until after errands, as if followed, I shit you not, by a like tongue sticking out emoticon, like he's fucking Dennis the Menace, and aren't you, aren't you just cleverly mischievous after he talked about raping his porn star girlfriend? Um, so okay, obviously, and are you fucking kidding me? To that, especially in the follow up tweet where he declared, "quote Real men rape." Yeah, that's that's the that just made it a lot worse. That that took it like if it, on a scale of one to ten of badness, he was already at like twelve, and then with that tweet, he just he went to like. A squillion. Yeah. Uh, now, so there's one. Are you fucking there's kidding me? There's one. Are you fucking kidding me? Fucking For kidding War Machine. Me? War Machine. Are fucking you fucking kidding me? kidding me? At this point, we we have to assume that War, he no, he's not fucking kidding us. <laughs> this is just how he lives his life. Uh, and then a different kind of are you fucking kidding me when his girlfriend, Christy Mack, jumps on Twitter to try and defend her man and, and writes, to be clear, at War Machine 170, his Twitter handle, says stupid things at times semicolon we all know this he did not rape me nor would he rape any woman parentheses or man yeah to me this is the most quizzical part of the entire uh uh debacle not that christy mack would stick up for war machine i don't think anyone's surprised by that no but the fact that she dropped this perfectly punctuated tweet proper use of a semicolon she she goes semicolon on you and and uses it correctly two independent clauses 
And are uh, you kidding me? Christy Mack is on here with an intelligently worded and, and well punctuated tweet. What is she doing with War Machine? She must just be on a lark because you can you read this one tweet and you know she's way too smart for this, right? You fucking kidding me, Christy Mack? What are you doing with War Machine? Are you fucking kidding me? And then the final "Are you fucking kidding me?" goes out to Bellator, who issued a statement from Bjorn Rebney, basically saying, "Yeah, I thought that shit was dumb too, but we're not going to do anything about it because human beings are humans and not property." Uh, which doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. It doesn't fit into the uh, what we know of the Bellator worldview either. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that is that's probably not the appropriate corporate response. I mean, it's one of those things where, like, what I don't want to see. It's not like I'm going to be encouraged by you taking some kind of like fake punishment kind of thing toward him, like or oh, oh shake naughty war machine, or you shake your finger at him or anything. Um, but then, uh, come on, Bellator, we know that you have played up the questionable aspects of war machines past definitely not afraid to do it. Uh, and then when, you know, he gets into some shit like this, you know, a part of Bellator is like, you just, you keep on pumping the machine there. War machine. Keep, keep, keep bringing that, that PR our way. We don't even care what variety it is in this, what form it takes anymore. As long as people are paying attention and talking about us, we'll take it. And you're human beings and not property. Fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me, Bellator? Fucking kidding me, Bellator. All right. Well, that's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Well, Chad, Saturday night also includes the return of the Ream. Uber Ream. Alistair Overeem coming back from his devastating loss to Antonio Bigfoot Silva to take on Travis Brown, who also recently had a devastating loss to Antonio Bigfoot Silva. I assume uh, the, the winner of this has earned the right to rematch Bigfoot. That's what <laughs> that's the stakes here, right? Yeah, you'd hope so, although uh, uh, at least... Uh at least Travis Brown was able to get off the schneid. He came back and, and beat Gabriel Gonzaga uh, in April uh, via KO in the first round. That's so, right. You know, he's coming off a win. Uh, Alistair Overeem uh, is is still, I think, very much trying to uh, erase the, the memory of what happened to him at, at UFC 156, where we all thought he showed up looking not quite as 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 ripped and 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 uh, just fearsome as he soft. normally is looked a little soft a little soft around which the obviously raids raised some eyebrows in the wake of his uh his positive test for elevated levels of testosterone uh when the nevada state athletic commission caught him with a surprise drug test uh and so you know this is probably you could probably say this is a big fight for for overeem to really uh to, to prove that, that he can hang with these guys in the UFC, even though to this point, the UFC certainly gives the impression that they're just going to keep giving this guy chances until he works his way up to the top. Not only is it a big fight, as you alluded to at the top, big weigh-in. Yeah, yes. Because a lot of people, I mean, I, th- I would say not since the heyday of BJ Penn uh, had there been as much or as many people willing to just speculate on what's going on with a dude based on how he looks on the scales. Although for different reasons here with Overeem. I mean, for instance, if he shows up looking like a goddamn superhero, people are going to be concerned, suspicious, you might say. However, on the other side of the equation, if he shows up and weighs in in a t-shirt like a fat kid about to go swimming, uh, then people are going to be concerned for a very different reason. You know, there, I think it's going to be interesting to see the, the reaction however he shows up looking. On Friday afternoon. Yeah. And, you know, we don't know, or at least I don't know, maybe you do. I don't know much about the Massachusetts State Athletic Commission. I don't know what kind of testing that they've done either, you know, prior to this fight. I assume he will have to take a test, uh, uh, you know, right before the fights for, for post fight analysis. Um, but, you know, he's been keeping a pretty low profile, uh, these past few months since that loss to, uh, to Antonio Bigfoot Silva. So we don't really know, uh, what to expect from, from Alistair Overeem coming into this fight. Um, Ben, I know in this week's uh, Twitter mailbag over on MMA Junkie, you answered a question about the uh, the biogenesis scandal, the the uh, the Florida anti aging clinic that has has gotten uh, former 
NL MVP Ryan Braun suspended in the in the um, Major League Baseball, and also Alex Rodriguez, Rodriguez this week suspended for, for two two years or uh, the next season, I guess, uh, and uh, and twenty other guys as well, or something like that. Um, and and the, you know, you wrote about it. I thought Kevin Ioli also wrote about it over on Yahoo Sports. Um, and and the tenor of of your, both of your arguments, I thought, were were pretty similar. That uh, you know, and at this point, the way baseball reacted to this to this. Uh, Scandal really makes Major League Baseball a, a sport that's that's far more associated with PED use than probably any other professional sport. Makes them look very very tough on on steroid and, and PED users as compared to what we have over here in combat sports. And uh, you know, I think continuing to throw Alistair Overeem out there, even though he's a guy who has tested positive for elevated levels of testosterone and a guy who certainly you know raised a lot of eyebrows during the last three four years during his romp through the heavyweight division and other in other promotions. He's a guy that definitely caused a lot of people to ask questions about what was going on in the training camp uh, setting with him. And so uh, I guess my question to you is, do you think that continuing to promote him in this way is another thing that makes the, the, the UFC and, and combat sports in general look like a little soft on, on the PED issues? You know, I wondered about that, especially putting him on this kind of marquee card on the new network. And he's the co-main event, which you and I love. Absolutely. It's a, it's a revered spot for us on the card. And my first thought was, well, I assume they tested the hell out. The UFC did their own testing of him in training camp. You would think, yeah. Just to make sure that he's not going to embarrass you. Because um, if he does show up, looks like an action figure again, uh, and then gets popped, uh, you know, that could be a disaster for you. Hey, FS1 just launched the UFC's new home, and they put a steroid user out there out front. A guy they knew had a pass as a steroid user. You know, that that won't go over well if that happens. So I assume that the UFC is aware of that and uh, is at least taking some kind of precautions to try and make sure that that doesn't happen, to at least make sure that if he is cheating again, that he doesn't get caught this time. <laughs> uh, but you're right that, I mean, the reaction, the difference between, you know, baseball saying all right we're going to go down to florida we're going to send investigators down there and we're going to pay for the information for all the, the biogenesis records we can get our hands on to find out which of our guys are using this stuff so that then we can punish them i mean that's kind of an extreme step and meanwhile dana white's reaction is oh god I, this is a headache i don't need i hope none of my guys are on that list um but you get the sense that if some of his guys are on this list and that if he could make sure that it didn't come out just by doing nothing that he would be perfectly content to do nothing and, and let that go. It seems like again, and this has been the UFC's problem, I think with PED use that their prob their, their main focus is not so much on getting rid of it in the sport, but in keeping it from becoming a problem for them, just keeping it out of the headlines, keeping it from becoming a distraction, a headache as Dana White puts it. It's not that they are really, really trying to clean up the sport so much as they're just hoping they don't have to deal with it. And that never works. I mean, I think baseball learned that lesson. Like, And baseball is trying now. It's trying to, to do those things, trying to do it right. It's still suffering from it. I mean, you look at the last Hall of Fame class where nobody got voted in. I mean, that's, that tells you uh, that they are paying the price for it. They realize it. And they're trying not to make those same mistakes again. And I, you would hope that other sports organizations like the UFC would be able to look at that and say, that's where we're headed if we don't do something. Yeah. And you know, if, if the UFC has been testing over him, testing the shit out of him, as they said they were going to do to guys who had, had, had either filed for testosterone replacement therapy exemption or, uh, had been caught, you know, with, with elevated levels in the past. If they're, if they are testing him, dude, I would like to hear about that. It would be yeah. awesome for them to come out and be like, yeah, you know, we tested him 17 times during his training camp or whatever. And his levels were always, uh, they were they were within the normal range. That I, seems like something that would speak well to them and their regulatory efforts. On, I, th on I think that they would not want to do that because they'd be they'd be afraid of establishing that precedent. That if we tell people when guys test clean, if then we don't tell you anything in the lead up to the next Alistair Overeem fight, it makes it look like maybe we caught him dirty and told him to just get his shit together rather than actually doing something about it. I don't I don't think they. Again, the same thing with, you know, releasing the exact amount of money guys are making. The less information they feel like they can give out, the better. Yeah, well, they're going to have to establish some kind of precedent because the, as you and, and Kevin both pointed out this week, the, the, uh, the commission testing rarely gets it done at this point, unless you fight someplace like Nevada where they, they have more, uh, 
you know, financial means than a lot of different places, and they they will maybe sneak up on you and spring a drug test on you if you're not if you're not careful, if yeah. you're not looking over your shoulder. And all the anti-doping experts will tell you that if you want to have any kind of meaningful drug testing program at all, it has to be unannounced and random. It can't be, hey, you're all going to show up here on this date and get tested because that just kind of defeats the purpose. If you have anybody around you who knows what they're doing, they can get around those tests. Overeem got around them for years and never tested positive on any of the tests uh, that he knew were coming. It's the one random one that sh- that snuck up on him and got him. That that should tell you something. All right, well, let's do uh, tips for the well-rounded fight fan before we move on to round number three. Ben, I know that you're excited about this, this uh, segment today. I know you came loaded for bear with a tip for the well-rounded fight fan. What is it? I do, I, and I am excited about this one. Uh my tip for the well-rounded fight fan is the hilarious novel by Jack Handy. That's right. The Jack Handy of Deep Thoughts from Saturday Night Live, as people who grew up in the 90s will, will no doubt remember. Jack Handy is not only a real person, that's his real name. Uh, and he has written a novel called The Stench of Honolulu that is absolutely hilarious. Uh, it's basically just a comic novel and it could essentially be the the narrator from deep thoughts a dumb incapable yet extremely confident person uh going on an adventure and it's just sentence to sentence absolutely fucking hilarious the kind where if you're reading it and i hope you will read it because anyone who enjoys the cme will enjoy this novel uh you want to be alone when you're reading it because you're going to laugh out loud. You will literally LOL multiple points throughout the book. And as my wife can tell you, that is really annoying for anybody uh, who is in the same room or within earshot of you for you to just keep guffawing and not telling them what you're laughing about. So get that novel, The Stench of Honolulu. Chad will put up the the link on our website uh, and you will enjoy the hell out of it, I promise. You know, I think that the biggest breaking news to come out of that for a lot of people is that going to be that Jack Handy is a real person. I know. I didn't realize that either. The New York Times did a profile on him uh, with this book coming out, and that was one of the main points was, hey, can you believe it's a real person and that's his real name? Also, the way he got into writing for Saturday Night Live was he lived in New Mexico and Steve Martin was his neighbor. Wow. Is that yeah. true? Steve Martin used to come over, hang out, uh, play his banjo, uh, and then he got Jack Handy involved in writing for Saturday Night Live. Wow. Well, I'm I still I still not sure I believe he's a real person, but you say he wrote a novel, I'll take your word for it. It's a hilarious novel, and it's, I read it in an afternoon, really quick. Well, Ben, this week, my tip for the well-rounded fight fan is the album Run the Jewels, a, a, a joint collaboration between uh, Atlanta rapper Killer Mike and the producer LP. Uh, there was a lot of talk on 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 Twitter these past couple of months about the uh, the Kanye West album. Uh, what's it called? Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. It's terrible. It's bad. It's not really good. terrible. And I uh, like Kanye West. Yeah, but me it's too. Terrible. A lot, lot of talk about that. I, I was going back and forth with friend of the podcast Danny Downs for a while, talking about the uh, the fairly mediocre Jay Z effort. Uh, Magna Carta, Holy Grail. Yeah. Maybe the worst title for an album <laughs> in the history of albums uh, uh it's, and, and you know and then i stumbled upon run the jewels which which sound wise i would say if production value wise sounds a little bit like what you gotta believe that kanye west was going for and uh jay-z on a on a couple of his songs with the uh you know on, on his new album that maybe he was going for but uh the the big difference is that well two differences actually the first difference is that run the jewels is super awesome and the second difference is that you can download it for free from Pitchfork. Huh. So I will put up the link that uh, where you can go there and download it for free uh, by Killer Mike and LP Run the Jewels. As for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and head straight into round number three. Here we go. One step at a time, don't be living on the line. I don't need a friend. I got more than on the mind. Sunshine in my brain, making everyone complain. Radio in the heart, don't be being so strange. Think I'm losing it, baby. Well, Ben, uh, I don't know if it was incredibly surprising news this week now that we know 
that Ronda Rousey has what we think is going to be a fairly significant part in The Expendables Part 3, and that uh, I believe she's also up for a part in, what, Fast and the Furious Part 12, Part Part 17? Fast and Furiousest. Faster and Furiouser. Yeah. Uh, but she told your colleague at MMA Junkie, John Morgan, during an interview that uh, she thinks she's got two years of fighting left in her before uh, she moves on to do whatever it is that she's going to do. Uh, I guess my opening question to you is, are you surprised? Or do you put any stock in this claim whatsoever? I guess I am surprised that she would put a number on it um, and put it out there so forthrightly. Mm-hmm. But I think that that's kind of the what everybody was thinking anyway. Once they see uh, you know, female fighter who's gotten to the top of, of women's MMA and then starts showing up in movie roles and the magazine covers, I think everybody starts to have those Gina Carano flashbacks and they, they feel like that's what's going to happen anyway. Um, and I don't know if... You know, going out there and saying that that's what that's what her plan is was an attempt to kind of get out in front of that, or uh, if she just you know maybe was not thinking that there would be a backlash or, or a response to that at all. I don't know. I don't know exactly what she was thinking by by laying it out so clearly. Uh, but I was really interested in her response to uh, I believe what she referred to as the the Twitter hating bitches, something like that. Uh, that's a technical term. Yeah, that's a programmers use that. Yeah, social media experts hating Twitter bitches. Yeah, that's the that's it. Um, where she seemed to get really mad that people were maybe mad about that. Um, and I, I mean, I understand that. I would, I would, I would, I would probably feel the same way as her if I had said that and people got mad at me about it. Yeah, I guess it depends. I mean, I guess I did not see the tweets necessarily that she was directly referencing. So who knows? Maybe she got like a, a ton of hate tweets about it from the hating Twitter bitches. Uh, but to me, it seems like one of those things where if people, if they are mad, they're mad because they want you to stay and keep fighting because they like seeing you fight. And I can see how people could look at it and be like, what does it say about women's MMA? If the best thing you can do in women's MMA is become famous enough to get out like that is maybe that should be troubling for the division a little bit. If the best people keep just bailing as soon as they get the opportunity, it just makes it look like women's MMA is just not a good career choice. And how are you supposed to sustain the division? I mean, one of the things I think that kind of got lost in it was when I talked to her about her comments about, you know, that she might be gone in two years, the thing she was saying that she felt like she had to do before then was to get women's MMA into a position where it could survive without her and do very well without her. And I feel like that maybe kind of got lost. And especially she's not really doing herself any favors in, in keeping him from getting lost. If she's going off about the hate and Twitter bitches, um, that kind of overreaction to the reaction, uh, kind of puts the spotlight on the wrong things for there. I mean, I thought it was, uh, interesting for her to say that she felt it was her responsibility to get the division to a good place before she left it. Uh, and that she wasn't just concerned with her own fame and her own success. Uh, right. That's admirable. As far as I'm concerned, it is admirable, uh, but I can also understand why some fans would be like, so what the hell? We they, this was all for you to get a movie career. That's what that's what our our fandom is worth to you. And and I also think that you know if we are looking at Gina Carano, that's not all success story. It might be a little cautionary tale because where's Gina Carano's film career at these days? That Haywire was well reviewed. That the critics were. I don't believe you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, well, you know, I, I feel a few things about this Ronda Rousey thing. First of all, as I've said on this podcast about other people in the past, if you can go make yourself a lot of money doing something that doesn't involve Liz Carmouche climbing on your back and trying to bust your face in half with her forearm, God, more power to you, man. Go do it. Go, go, go make a bunch of money making movies rather than making money getting punched in the face. Fair that point. Seems like a perfectly reasonable decision for someone to make. Even if they are stupid, stupid movies. The second, the second thing that, that comes to mind is that, you know, I wouldn't really be surprised if that's Ronda Rousey's ultimate fate going to make movies. She certainly has burst on the MMA scene and become a, a phenomenon, uh, in, in short order. Uh, the UFC certainly saw uh, uh, some star power in her and, and promoted her to, you know, 
you know, promoted her in a way that they almost haven't promoted anybody else in a way of just being like, this person is going to be a star. She's what this entire division is about. She's the most important commodity in, in, in her field. And we are going to uh, promote her, you know, as hard as we can, as, as much as we can. Um, they don't do that for a lot of people. They have always made the conscious decision to promote the brand over the fighter. Uh, and, you know, they still do that even with Ronda Rousey, you know, making a big deal about how she's a UFC champion and how she changed the UFC's mind about, uh, women's MMA in general. But they really did kind of, uh, promote her personality more than, than a lot of her male counterparts. So if it did turn out that she was going to go be a, a Hollywood film actress, I would not be that surprised. But one of the things they promoted about her personality, if you recall, uh, when she was first kind of getting big, the thing that Dana White would say is like, oh, you know, hey, People say, I'm just interested in her because she's pretty. But Aegeanic was pretty, um, and I wasn't interested. The thing is, I'm interested in about Ronda is that she's a fucking fighter, man. She wants to go out there and hurt people. She's a Diaz brother and a beautiful fucking body. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and so, like, it seemed like back, one of the things that, that they were really pushing was, hey, it's not going to be like the Gina Carano thing this time. Like, this one is different. This one wants to be a fighter to be a fighter, not to be a fighter to be a movie star. Um, which, by the way, we don't even know she can act. That's true. We better wait and see uh, whatever her first release is. Yeah, we're not going to go see Expendables 3, so no, let's probably not kid not. ourselves. Uh, uh, wait, I was, so is what you're trying to tell me that maybe a fire promoter at some point <laughs> said something that wasn't true? Because that, I don't believe you. I just, I don't believe you. You're twisting my words. You're twisting my words now. Here's I, the other thing I thought of when I heard this, this Ronda Rousey declaration that she's going to walk away from the sport in two years. Kind of made me feel the same way as like when you're in your early 20s and you know the couple that's really committed to each other and they're like, you know, in this long-term relationship and they're like, oh man, we got engaged. We're going to get married in two years. <laughs> like anytime you hear about that sort of like long-term planning, you're just like, yeah, the fuck you are. Yeah, we'll two, see. Two years might as well be never. That's right. And the way things move in this sport you know a lot can change in two years man let alone overnight in this sport so i think we have to take this i have two years left in me with the sort of same grain of salt that we take it when anderson silva says stuff like that where he's like i want to be done by the time i'm 35 but i just signed a 10 fight deal yeah here he is 38 with a new 10 fight deal we haven't we haven't seen him walk away yet so that's a good point i mean the sky's not falling if 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 you think that this is a a terrible travesty we you know we still it still remains to be seen if she actually follows through on it also though the thing is okay so you just got two movie roles right two different movie roles that you that that just were announced um and you want to be done in two years when are these movies going to film because it would seem like you would spend at least a portion of the next two years filming fucking movies and also how are you supposed to know if the film career thing is going to work out like if you two years doesn't seem like enough time if you haven't even started filming on any of the movies to know whether that career is going to be a success also the film career stuff is coming off of the success and the attention she's gotten in the UFC. Will she still get that attention if she is just an actress? Like if she's not a fighter, will they still be as interested in her? Because what if she shows up and maybe she's not a terrible actress, but she's, you know, she's not Jodie Foster or anything either. And, uh, then it's like, okay, how do you get cast in the next movie? If you're not the UFC champion anymore, if people, because one of the things I think that is appealing to movie studios, why they would put somebody who is not an actress in these action movies and stuff is because they think, Oh, basically anybody can do it. You know, doesn't maybe not necessarily uh, require a whole lot of acting skill. And all those people who know her from that sport will come and see the movie. But if you're not in the sport anymore, I wonder if you still have that capital to trade on. Yeah. I wonder the same thing. I mean, it certainly hasn't really worked out for Randy Couture the way that I'm sure that he thought it was going to when he when he first started dipping his foot in the in the Hollywood pool. Uh, pool. Uh, you know what? The, the biggest thing to me is if women's MMA is able to establish the kind of foothold that it can survive Ronda Rousey losing this, leaving the sport, you know, in the next, in the next couple of years if it, if it establishes itself to the point that it can survive losing Ronda Rousey, then honestly, I don't really care if she's around or not. Uh, she's obviously a good draw for them, I think, and a good, uh, a good catalyst to get people interested in, in women's fighting. But, you know, as long as the UFC doesn't kill off the division just because she leaves, 
eh, you know, it's a loss, but to me, it's not an enormous loss if they're yeah. if they're going to carry on with the with women's MMA in, in general. Which I assuming they, they could. will, which they, I mean, would you be terribly surprised if Ronda Rousey left and uh, then you know six months or a year later, like, yeah, this thing hasn't worked out, we're going to shut it down. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what I, that's what I think I'm saying. I think we that that it 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 would be a huge loss if they did that. It wouldn't be as huge of a loss if if the sport is able to go far enough in the next two years that that it can handle that departure i guess it is interesting though to see once she started to get some flack for it uh from the hating twitter bitches uh how she backtracked on it because in the original article and uh i heard the audio from it and i talked to her about it too she was pretty firm on the two-year thing saying that that was going to be her athletic peak that that that's how she saw it going down um and then when she kind of had a reaction on twitter after everybody was apparently giving her shit for it um, she said that, you know, hey, she, that was a guess. Two to three years was a guess. Um, and that the day she wasn't overjoyed to go to the gym is the day she would quit, quote, could be tomorrow or in seven years. Um, that's already changing her tune. Yeah. Based on some of the reaction. Also said that, uh, she'll leave when her mark has been made and she's ready to make babies. Uh, huh. Yeah. All right. Well, whatever. and, uh, as two people sitting here who, who have, just uh, recently made babies. Just recently made babies. I would say, don't rush into that. <laughs> Take it slow. Well, let's do just saying stuff, and then we'll get out of here for this week. Uh, ben, this week, my just saying stuff, I know that you would probably expect the old fuddy-duddy, Chad Dundas, to be pretty put off if a guy who owns his own promotion decides that he wants to fight in it. Old man Dundas. You would probably expect me to sit here and talk about impropriety and conflict of interest, etc., etc. Guess what? No way. I'm totally into it. If Ray Sefo, Sifo wants to go out there and fight in, in World Series of Fighting, as far as I'm concerned, the best way for him to convince the world that the fights over there aren't fixed is for him to lose by second round TKO to Dave Huckaba. And in fact, maybe we make it a standing rule that if you're going to own an MMA promotion, you have to fight in it. <laughs> kind of like Fight Club. Yeah. If you're first time at Fight Club, you have to fight. If you're going to own an MMA promotion, strap the gloves on. At least once. Got to fight in it. I like that. Just saying. And you have to fight somebody whose name may be fake name. Oh, my social security number? 51422WTs. You might know my father, Mr. Huckaba. Now, Chad. I'm just saying, uh, you may have heard that uh, former Ultimate Fighter competitor Lou Pauly was supposed to uh, compete at the World Series of Fighting. Uh, I had heard that. I was all over the World Series of Fighting preview. Yeah. Um, did not compete because he came in way, way, way over at the weigh-in. Uh, this is from the report from MMA Fighting, uh, MMAFighting.com's Dave Doyle, uh, from the World Series of Fighting matchmaker. Quote, he told me he was cutting from 289 at the beginning of camp. This is for a fight at light heavyweight. Is, he fight, is this is a cruiserweight fight <laughs> trying to get down to 225? I don't know what his motive was to be 289 six weeks out, but he cost us a lot of money and his opponent was coming in from Holland. Uh, his manager said, let's do a catch weight 220. The other camp was willing to go 215. But on Thursday, he weighed 225. The weigh-in day, he comes in at 234. He gained weight, Chad. He gained weight between the day before weigh-ins and weigh-in. Well, that's you. He just obviously said, fuck it at some point, right? I don't I'm getting a hamburger. Fuck this. Could you even gain that much weight in a day if you wanted to? Depends on if it's a bet. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying that if you miss weight that badly... The only excuse is that you got confused on the date of the fight. <laughs> you thought you had another month? Yeah, if you were like, oh, I thought this was in three weeks. Oh, my bad, you guys. That one's on me. Uh, that's the only way that's excusable. I'm just saying. Just saying. Well, that's going to do it for this week. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast to tell you about all the crazy shit that happens on the UFC on Fox Sports 1. As for right now, we're done. We're through. We're out. So he just missed the cruiserweight limit, though. Like, 225, he could he was just, he was practically there. Another couple minutes in the sauna. From, from 225 to 234, I mean, that's, were you just...